Morning, all. How are you? A couple of announcements before we get started this morning. The first is, uh, as is always our custom, to remind you that if you are interested in learning more about this fellowship, uh, about what it means to be one church, multiple congregations, serving the city, across the city in a variety of ways, uh, if you're interested in moving further into that kind of fellowship, uh, you can scan the QR code right there on the chair in front of you. Uh, and that's the easiest way to learn about all of the things that are going on both in our congregation and in the other congregations around Nashville. Uh, and you can find a lot of the things that I'm about to say. If you would like to respond by registering, you can also find that on the QR code. The first one of those that you can register for is our women's ministry has a service day uh, at Cultivate. Did y'all get see the like Instagram post or the email come through? Cultivate, amazing ministry, right down the road, a mile and a half that way at the Ag Center. They're growing food and they're growing people. Uh, very easy mission statement that even I could remember it. So uh, Abby Gant is, I don't know if she's here today, but she is our kind of local representative in our congregation who also works at Cultivate. Uh, so from 9 to 12 this coming Friday, there's going to be a service opportunity for our women to be involved over there. You're going to be harvesting potatoes. Last I heard. So who doesn't love to harvest a potato? Uh, So I invite you to, um, you can register for that again on the QR code and invite you to come out um, on this Friday for that. Secondly, we've been saying this, you've probably gotten an email about this if you're on our email list and seen other posts about it, but uh, we're saying it a lot so that you won't forget. July 20th, in this room, there is a congregational meeting. This is... primarily and predominantly for those who are members. Member meaning you have stood up in front of the congregation, you've gone through the membership class, and you've said, yes, this is my place, these are my people, I am availing myself to the responsibility of being a member here. This is one of those responsibilities, one of those opportunities that we have uh, to collectively see what is the Lord doing, not just at our congregation, but at all these congregations around town. Uh, so on July 20th, that's a Thursday evening, you'll have the opportunity to come and, uh, and hear some about what the Lord's doing across, the, across our movement, uh, and also to participate in worship, prayer, fellowship, community, and even a couple of votes uh, along the way. So invite you, particularly members, uh, invite you to come and be a part of that. And it would be super helpful if you could register for that as well, also via the QR code so that we can know uh, and make sure that we have the numbers that we need to do the kind of things that we're hoping to do. One of those things, just for a personal point of privilege, uh, is we're going to be installing and ordaining a new class of elders here at Midtown Creep Hall. So super, super thankful uh, for this class that we have coming through. And uh, it's been a really fun process that we've been in with them since this past February of training and discernment and discipleship uh, bringing us to this moment that we have. So on July 20th, that's something that our congregation will have the unique privilege of being able to do. So that's a couple of things. Did I miss anything? Oh, last thing is Explore Midtown, which is that membership process if you would like to move uh, in that direction. is coming up in August. And uh, more information about that, again, on the QR code, and you can register for, uh, for that. It'll be four weeks consecutively in August. Okay. 
There are all of the things. Now, uh, I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm going to point at somebody who's going to read the scripture. Just kidding. But uh, whoever, yes, Cat Shivey. Yep, that's where my finger was going to land. And girls, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Oh, you have the paper already? Awesome. All right, girls, take it away. Okay. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. And then this is Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Okay, wait, what did he say? What did he say? This is the Lord. The word of the Lord. The word the <laughs> This is the word of the Lord. This is the There's word of the Lord. Great job. Great job. <laughs> And that was the best scripture reading we've ever had. Oh, way to go, girls. Thank you very much, Kat and crew. Uh, Okay. So I almost wish they wouldn't leave because I have an illustration that they would probably appreciate. Uh, Because who doesn't love the 1937 Disney classic Snow White? Uh, I was thinking about that in, in trying to paraphrase what is the Lord's Prayer about? What have we been doing in these seven weeks as we've stopped and thought sort of line by line, petition by petition, about why would Jesus need to teach us to pray and what exactly is he teaching us to pray? So you know the story. There's the evil queen. She wants nothing more than to be the most beautiful person in the whole kingdom, the most powerful, the most amazing. And so she asks this magic mirror Every morning when she wakes up, at least in my imagination, that's how it goes. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And most of the time, at least in the beginning, there is that refrain back from the magic mirror, thou, O queen, art the fairest in the land. Until her stepdaughter, Snow White, comes of age And then she's asking this magic mirror one day, who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror responds, Snow White is the fairest of them all. Every morning we wake up and look in the mirror and ask that question. Who's the fairest? Who's the best? Every morning we wake up and have this desire inside of ourselves to be the best and the brightest, the most beautiful, the most powerful, the most amazing. And then we look in the mirror, and we self-assess, and then we spend the rest of our day either in arrogance, based on what we find, 
or in self-loathing based on what we find. This is the life that we are born into living. It is so easy to catch ourselves thinking about ourselves. The Lord's Prayer provides, instead of waking up every morning to a mirror, we get to wake up every morning to a window to say, who is actually the fairest of them all? Who is actually the most amazing, the most beautiful, the most bold, the most courageous of them all? And through this window, through the Lord's Prayer, as we've been walking line by line through this, we get this image of this beautiful, amazing, fair God who is and is most aptly known in the person and the work of Jesus. And this God is said to be a father. Out of the gate, we are called and invited to call this God Father. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, Already being pulled off of ourselves and onto his glory. Already being reminded that we are not the fairest of them all. He is. And then it moves on to continue to picture this is his kingdom. This is his purpose. This is his glory. This is his will that runs this world and therefore that runs my life. Now, because that's the window through which I see reality, as it actually is, now the second half of the Lord's Prayer begins to say, okay, then how do I fit in under that reality? Well, I need at least three things, and this is what we've been working through the past three weeks. I need provision for today. I need daily bread. I got to get through whatever is uh, the issues and the difficulties and just the basic needs that I have to get through this day. That was two weeks ago. I also need forgiveness for all the stuff as I look back on yesterday. I need forgiveness for all of that that I find that I wish wasn't a part of my yesterday. That was last week. Now this week, we begin to turn forward to say, now as I continue to walk out in this day, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil. And so we're looking in the past, we're looking in the present, and we're looking in the future, all shrouded in the reality of who this God actually is who cares for us and is powerful enough to do something about it. That's what the Lord's Prayer is. Every morning, every night, every moment being invited in various ways to aright ourself under the reality that is. So as we finish out today, we're, we've been trying to answer sort of some of the prayer stoppers, some of the reasons why prayer is so daggum difficult. Hopefully I'm not the only one in the room that struggles with my prayer life, that struggles to be able to put words to this God who actually is in ways that are actually meaningful and change anything. And so as we look at this last phrase, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, we're trying to answer the question, prayer a lot of times doesn't really seem to do anything. Like what is prayer doing? Well, according to this last petition, it does at least two things. And these are our two points. One, prayer awakens us to the reality of the world, the flesh, and the devil of evil in and among, inside of us, and in this world that we live in. 
It awakens us to the reality of the world, the flesh, and the devil first. But equally, it also awakens us to the power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So those are going to be our two points for this morning, and then we're going to come very quickly to the table. The reality of the world, the flesh, and the devil. One of, actually, uh, one of the places where this little phrase has stuck so in my mind, and it's not primarily from some amazing theologian, but it's from the movie from the mid-90s, which is one of the best movies from the mid-90s, The Usual Suspects. Anybody remember that movie? Great movie. Uh, Kevin Spacey has this amazing line. He's kind of the know-it-all kind of guy, and he's able to put words to things really well. And he has this line when he's talking about sort of the, the whole movie is ordered around trying to figure out who this sort of spectral kingpin behind this evil empire whose name is Kaiser Sose. And they're trying to figure out who is Kaiser Sose? If you've ever been to Moe's, they have a salsa called Who is Kaiser Salsa? That's where that came from. You're welcome. Who is Kaiser Sose? And he's talking about sort of the, that the best thing that Kaiser has done is like disappear and become this shadowy figure. And as he's sort of thinking through all of this, he says this line. He says, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. C.S. Lewis, very similarly, as someone who you might trust more than Kevin Spacey, (laughs) in a a book called The Screwtape Letters uh, that is sort of an analogy of an older demon coaching up a younger demon, in how to tempt the patient, or that is the Christian. This is what Screwtape says. It does not matter how small the sins are that you tempt the patient with, provided that the cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light, get this, and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without milestones, without sudden turnings, without signposts. The most insightful thing to me in that little passage is when when these demons are talking about how they will tempt someone away, they're not necessarily tempting someone towards what they perceive as evil. They're tempting them towards something that they only perceive as sort of nothing. Out of the light and into the nothing. What both Kevin Spacey and C.S. Lewis seem to be saying is that there is an evil that normally, as it works on us, the ordinary way that evil works on us and on this world is gradually, little by little, without signpost, without sudden turning, not trying necessarily to lure you towards some big, evil, ugly, yucky thing. Sometimes it turns into that. 
But in the moment, it seems very small. It's one small compromise. It's one small look. It's one small drink that then turns into something else. But it feels more like coasting, more like numbness, more like going with the flow. The reality that Jesus is inviting us to pray ourselves into is that there is an evil in this world. And we find that evil inside of us, and we find that evil outside of us. And the goal and the purpose of that evil is nothing more than our collective destruction and the destruction of the God which this evil hates. So this, this first call that this line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is just to wake us up to the fact that, oh my gosh, there is actually something working in this world against me. There is actually something that is working in this world for my destruction. Now let's put a little bit more uh, meat around what is that something? What is that evil that we're talking about? Ephesians 6.12 that we just read says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in this world, in the heavenly places. Ever since sin initially crept its way into the world through the sin of Adam and Eve, our first parents, this world has been turned upside down and twisted outside in. There, this world is now filled, and the flow of it is not in the direction of God, but away. Our flesh, as the Bible calls it, is not bent towards good, but bent towards ill. And the devil, this spiritual being who rules this world, who is called the prince of the power of the air with his legion of fallen angels, want nothing more than to destroy God and destroy your faith and destroy this world. The world, the flesh, and the devil have been known as the unholy trinity, working against the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Now, here's what we tend to do, though. We tend to watch the news and we say, oh, those people, look at those evil people who do those evil things. How could they? Oh, that is so disgusting, so distasteful, so awful. Here's what Jesus is inviting us into. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is an invitation to say, I am only the right set of circumstances away from doing everything I see on the news. One commentator on this passage has said, we are brought into temptation when desire meets opportunity. And so to pray, lead me not into temptation, is asking God, I am weak. Will you please not allow both desire and opportunity to meet today? Please. So this is an opportunity, even in the midst of this service, and in the midst of, I think what's hard about church 
is that it's so familiar. It can be so familiar. We forget that this is a place that the Lord can work in you like right now. Here's an opportunity to ask the question, is there a place right now where desire is meeting opportunity for you? And it may be small. And it may be subtle, like Kevin Spacey and C.S. Lewis say. Or it could be something obvious, like lustful looks or angry outbursts. could be subtle, something like greed or gluttony that's best done in the shadows. But to, to recognize on the small micro level that those small micro decisions away from goodness and truth and beauty can and do turn into great, big, hairy issues. And so the first thing that the Lord's Prayer does in this section is to say, wake up, wake up everybody, (laughs) that we are capable of way more than we think we are. And we have to constantly be on guard and careful of our hearts in every morning when we wake up saying, I know the person in the mirror. I know what I am capable of. And I know that there's things I don't think I'm capable of that I am. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Okay, so Jeremy, you're saying that you want me to every morning wake up and think that? Well, that's depressing. It would be if the order in which this petition occurs wasn't where it was. Because remember the order of the Lord's Prayer. This petition finds itself right after what? Forgive me. We can only find the power to be honest about ourselves in the shadow of God's grace. Under the umbrella of his fatherly care is the only place where we can actually open up and be like, okay, that's me. I am the man. I did do that. I did think that. I am pondering that. I am actually what I wish I wasn't like. These are the places inside of me that I don't want anyone else to see, Lord, here. Because to invite that kind of a prayer into our life is potentially to invite a healthy amount, or not healthy, an unhealthy amount of shame into our life. When we wrestle with who we actually are, as we're thoughtful in thinking about our yesterday and looking forward to our tomorrow and seeing, oh, my heart did do that in that moment. Or, oh, I did think that inside my head. One of the uh, analogies that I heard a long time ago that has always stuck with me is, what if there was a, a scrolling moniker on your forehead and everything that you thought in your brain came out on that scrolling moniker? That would be terrifying. But the reason we're laughing is because we know the things that would go across there. And so to actually come to terms with that and say, oh my gosh, that's me. Only in the shadow of his grace do we find the courage to be that honest. Because not only does this lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, invite us to see the evil inside and outside of me, but it equally invites me to see that there is a power 
outside of me that we have already been rehearsing for the past six weeks. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Because the shame is true if it's up to us to fix ourselves. If it's to be and it's up to me, then there should be a healthy dose of I really am that awful and I'm not sure if I can do anything about it. But the Lord's Prayer consistently has been inviting us to this life of open-handedness, this life of need, this life of I can't, you can. In fact, because I am weak, you have to be strong for me. And in the shadow and in the weight of those other six petitions, five petitions, now this begins to make some sense. Because remember who is saying this. Two chapters before Matthew 6 is Matthew 4. When Jesus first comes onto the scene, the same spirit that is now inspiring Jesus to say, lead me not into temptation and putting that on our lips is the same spirit that led him into 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. Hebrews 4, this, this is one of those things that has always shocked me and the first time I really paused and thought about it, caught me. Hebrews 4 says, that Jesus was tempted in every way. Yeah, without sin. Every way. Jesus is tempted in all of the ways that you are. You find that comforting? You find that a, a little bit hard to wrap your mind around? Jesus was tempted in all of the ways that you and I are, which one is a comfort. That there's no temptation that's not common to us all. And so anything you may be feeling inside that you're like, oh, I can't believe that's inside of me. Guess what? Somebody else in this room is feeling the same thing. Welcome. And the goal here is that we would create a culture and a context where the gospel would be the loudest thing in this room and the loudest thing in your life, allowing you to live that life of honesty and beauty with God and with one another. Tempted in every way, yet without sin. Why? Because you and I are tempted in every way and so often fall to it. Because Jesus is able to say, lead me not into temptation and put that on our lips because he was led into temptation for us. And he is able to say, deliver them from evil. Why? Because he was completely oppressed by it. That the flood of the spiritual powers of this earth, the principalities and the powers took Jesus to the grave, nailed him to the cross, went into the grave with him. And three days later, Jesus rose. And the world, the flesh, and the devil stayed in the grave. The hope that we now have, yes, we still live in a broken world. But because we have a risen Savior, because we have an ascended Savior, because we have a Savior who has now sent his Spirit to live inside of us, he has said, I am making all sad things come untrue. 
This world is slowly changing, not even just back to the way it was, but into something even more glorious. Our flesh is not the only thing that we're left with. Those sinful tendencies inside of us is not the only thing that we're left with. We now have the same spirit that allowed Jesus to be tempted in every way, yet not sin. We have a new ability to not sin. Not all the time, not perfectly, but we have a new way opened up to us of obedience, which is actually where life and joy and fullness comes from. And Satan himself is bound and is only allowed to do what God our Father in heaven says he can. That is the the reality that we're being invited into as we close out this series, as we close out this Lord's Prayer, that there is a power that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have above and greater and beyond than the world, the flesh, and the devil. So here's two ways I think that that calls us to pray. And maybe... Maybe opportunities as we come to the table to be able uh, to pray these. One, we can pray our weaknesses. Like, what would it look like every morning to have the freedom to look at the day ahead and consider what are the places where I am going to be tempted today? What, are, what is that difficult meeting where I know I'm going to cower instead of standing up for what I believe in? What are, what are those words of self-loathing that I even am experiencing right now that I need courage to walk in the opposite direction than what even my own flesh is telling me to do? Where in my day am I, because it's just too hard, am I just going to check out and I'm going to pull out the phone or I'm going to stare out the window, and I'm not going to engage. Where are those places? Lord, help me to preemptively think about, Lord, these are the places I know myself. And these are all the things that I don't even know about myself. Lead me not into that temptation. But secondly, the beautiful thing about so many of our temptations is that the counter The opposite of those temptations may be things that are beautiful and amazing about you. For instance, if you struggle with greed, the the care and the love of money, for Jesus begin to to take your hands off of that, what may be under that is this beautiful ability to steward finance as well. Or a love of food that can just turn totally insular in and of yourself could make you a great party host. And so to think about not only lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil as sort of this this shield that I've got to put on all day, just kind of hoping that I don't mess things up too bad. No, the gates of hell won't prevail against this kingdom that is coming and has come. And his invitation is to actually grab a sword and go, go fight for it. Go fight for this kingdom. Go, go fight for truth and goodness and beauty to be brought to bear in all of your spheres of influence. What is something in your life that just grinds you when you see it happen? What is an evil that you just think, oh, that is not the way it's supposed to be? Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. God may send you into that place where you say, 
you want to be delivered from evil, I'm going to deliver you into something where you can be a deliverer in the same way that I have been towards you. That I can, you will be my kingdom worker in bringing my kingdom to bear on this world. So those would be two things I would invite you towards. Come this morning and be willing to be honest. Be willing to be honest with yourself about who you are. Be willing to be honest with God about who you are, trusting and knowing fully that in the righteousness of Jesus, God smiles over you. And if that is your song, if that is your reality, if you've said, I'm not good enough in myself, I need a righteousness outside of me, Jesus, be that for me. If that's you, then you have all the reason to be completely honest before him and trust that there is no condemnation. This could be an opportunity for the first time for that to be on your lips. I'm not what I thought I was. Jesus, help. And secondly, how might he be calling you towards pressing back the gates of hell as his kingdom begins more and more to come to bear. Know your weakness, pursue his kingdom. So early on, probably when I, I came to faith in college and one of my um, pastor heroes at that time was John Piper, listened to a ton of his sermons and one of the sermons that he uh, preached and it was about prayer, this image has always caught me as he was kind of categorizing what is prayer as we think about it and what is prayer doing. He said, the reason that we tend to think that prayer doesn't do anything is because we think of it like uh, we're on a, a domestic intercom on a cruise ship. And we're just calling down for a, an umbra, another umbrella drink, a refill of our pina colada. He says, instead, I want you to think of prayer like a wartime walkie-talkie. Help! 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 Where you have a general that is on the other line of that walkie-talkie who is able to call in the airstrike at any moment. Lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil. Is this, is this image, draws this image of a battle that we are in, but a battle that we are winning and a battle that Jesus is at the head of and winning for us. And so as we come to the table, we can come as a commissary. We can come and for a minute rest and rejuvenate and be reminded that the battle's already won. And so all who have put their faith in Jesus this morning are invited to come to this table. If that is true of you, this morning, I invite you to come and eat and drink and remember his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, and his power ruling and reigning over all things today. If that's not true of you, I would invite you to stay where you are. I would invite you to not take these elements because this, there is a call to remember the goodness of Jesus, but if you have not first tasted that goodness, this could be the opportunity. This could be the moment. This could be the day where you first taste the sweetness and the joy of salvation.
Secondly, this is also an image of a giant table. And if we had a giant table and had uh, enough seats to go around it, we could do this. But there's an image of community around this, that we're not just living a life of me and Jesus alone, but this is me and Jesus, us and Jesus together. Uh, and so that doesn't mean that you have to be a member here. That doesn't mean you have to be a member somewhere. But do other people know that you're walking with Jesus? And are you helping other people walk with Jesus together? And then finally, are you living honestly? Not perfectly, but are you living honestly with the Lord and with other people? Is there anything that you're holding on to right now? Could be a grudge against someone. Could be a, a secret sin. Is there anything you're holding on to right now that if the Lord said, let it go, you'd say, mm -mm. These would all be reasons. There is mercy by taking these elements and there is mercy by letting them pass you by. And in either way you go, the Lord is at work in you today. And so wherever you find yourself, would you be fueled and fed and encouraged in this battle that is ours and is won? Okay? So the way we're going to do this is um, the band will come back and play here in a moment. You'll be invited. You can come and kneel. There will be a gluten-free option as well, so you can mention that if you need that. Uh, you can take the bread. You can take the cup. You can take a moment and pray. Again, in those two categories of, uh, of both your weakness and his strength and what he may call you into. Uh, if you would like someone to pray for you, and put some words even that you can't bring out of your own mouth, you can cross your arms. Uh, if you'd like some more concerted time towards that end, you can go back to our prayer corner and someone can uh, put their arm around you and pray for you back there as well. So on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body and it's broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, as often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of my blood poured out for you. Let's pray and then we'll come ahead. So Father, we pray for the boldness and the courage to be honest about who we actually are. And for the boldness and the courage to believe that you have overcome the world. That you have overcome our flesh. That you have overcome the devil himself. But we need help. Because all those things are invisible. All those things are not in our daily purview. And all of those things seem very far away a lot of times. So I pray that you would bring all those realities and by your spirit's power, awaken and enliven us to see. Enliven us to see the battle that we're really in and enliven us even more to see the king and the Lord of that battle. Uh, to see the one who is a rider on a white horse. To see the one who rules and reigns over all things, who holds everything together by just a word. That is is you, Jesus. And so we pray in ways that we can't muster up in ourselves. Would you meet us in this bread and in this cup and as we kneel and as we pray, meet us. In your name, amen.